I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, my name's Grace Campbell. I'm a comedian and feminist campaigner, and ever since podcasts started, I've been telling my dad he should do one. Dad say hello hello i am alistair campbell i am also a campaigner and i fear i inspire a lot of grace's comedy and what's our podcast dad our podcast is called football feminism and everything in between because because football is my passion feminism is your passion and we are going to be talking to interesting people about those two things and everything in between like brexit no dad there is more to life than Brexit. So, where are we today? We're in uh, Notting Hill. We're in Notting Hill. There was a famous film, wasn't there? There was. Called Hugh Grant, Julia Roberts. Notting Hill. Mm. And it was made by an I'm, amazing I'm guy, yeah, filmmaker. filmmaker. So and you know his daughter. I do. And today, we are very lucky to be talking to one of my best friends in the world and her equally incredible father. He's certainly very talented. Very she, talented. She, she's so an amazing she. filmmaker. He's also an amazing philanthropist and fundraiser through Comet Relief. And she's a, she's a writer and an activist. And a feminist campaigner. So, our so. guests today are Scarlett, Scarlett and, and Richard, Richard Curtis. Curtis. So, let's start with feminism. Scarlett is someone who made me much more of a feminist. And I want to know Richard how much Scarlett has influenced you as a feminist? Has she made you more feminist? Definitely. Um, uh, I mean, I can say almost nothing any longer in, in a dinner. I'm almost completely silent in case I say something offensive. This was a negative assessment. That's actually one of the things I talk about on panels almost the most as being annoying, because the things you always think... I'm going to get angry about, I never get angry about. Yes. And the things you don't realise are the problematic things. And also it's just very annoying when people like treat you differently because you're a feminist. <laughs> right, so that, give, give, us any, any, give us an example of both, where something that you think you can't say which you used to, and Scarlett something which you think pisses him off which shouldn't. Um, so if I were to say, my favourite of your mum's friends is Ashling Beek. She's so pretty and reminds me of Carolyn Cahoon, my first girl. Okay, my dad, okay, you, you actually have this disease by which you equate exteriors with interiors. So someone is pretty, you think they're a good person. So you will say, this line has come out of his mouth, she's so 
pretty she's such a good person and then he'll like go and meet like the head of the UN who's like the most impressive woman who's literally saving the world she is like, pretty what actually. was she like and he'll be like well very pretty lovely nose <laughs> um, absolutely well dressed that is so unfair by the way you see now I'm regretting Probably doing this head of I'm regretting no, head of um, um, okay, so I am. No, I'm already regretting this is doing good this because we. Yeah. There are so many people and who that, want I think to hear these conversations. That's, that's a mixture of a feminist thing, not just something that has like bugged me growing up my whole life. But you do that. What you do that all the time. Or you'll say, "Oh, she's she's really good looking." The first thing you'll say about a woman. No, yeah, it's not but the first he thing. thinks it's proof she's a good person. What you do, Kate Moss. So many people have told you she's... She is a good person. There's no doubt. Every time you've <laughs> well, asked her to do anything for comic relief. Richard. I think, Richard, I think your dad is just an unbelievably positive... It's my sense of it. He's yes. an unbelievably positive person. No, because if someone's ugly, he thinks they're evil. <laughs> that is... Now, this better be a humorous podcast. <laughs> but anyway, returning to, returning to the issue at hand, um, I mean, there is this big generational thing, and Scarlett wrote a lovely little play, in a way, proving that people who didn't think they were feminists, as it were, were doing the job. So I would say that my mum was a real uh, feminist, Mm -hmm. but the structure of her life was the exact sort of anti-feminist thing of being rather brilliant, giving up her job completely, spending her life just raising her kids. But every woman or girl who ever met her adored her because she had such a sort of sense of her own entitlement to joy and to be listened to and all those important things. But I do think, I've always thought that in order to change society, you have to be unreasonable. And I'm quite a reasonable person. Mm. So I think we need someone like Scarlett... I'm actually unreasonable. To be unreasonable. Well, yeah, to just push the boundaries, Mm, to point out at, at every point what you're doing, to, as it were, pick out behavior and say that's symptomatic of the patriarchy or that's what you're actually talking about is a feminist issue rather than just a simple issue. So I'm enjoying it, even though it means that I have to be quite quiet. But Scarlett, what, what, you, you were saying there are, there are things that you think your dad probably thinks he shouldn't be doing, which well, actually the other he, day he you didn't like, worry about. You were like, I'm not even going to tell you about this person because you would hate him so much. I'm not going to tell you. And then it was that he'd like had an affair or something, which isn't a feminist. Issue. issue yeah at all and he Apart just does things like that Johnson. quite a lot and then they all make fun of me now at christmas and stuff and stuff but it's fine something i have struggled with a bit with you which is quite interesting is you've obviously dedicated your whole life to like the most extreme issues in the world um and i think we grew up like i always say we grew up with like charity was our religion and you know these it was like you were showing us videos and pictures of people that were in the most extreme, horrible situations. And I think for a really long time, I felt like feminism wasn't an important enough issue for me to dedicate my time to. Like, I thought you would think, why the hell is she trying to make girls who have food and, you know, houses uh, feel better about themselves when she could be doing this? Have you ever thought that? Uh, well, I think about it all the time. Um, what? But, well, no, I think about it all the time because the Sustainable Development Goals, which replaced the Millennium Development mm. Goals, and which I'm now working on, are much, much broader. So they're a sort of public education. The first thing Obama said when they were launched is, I've got to make this work in America, mm. one of the richest countries in the world. 
before I worry too much about it happening abroad or at the same time. Mm. And, and, you know, climate, which I used to consider a less urgent issue, even though obviously that's changed, has to be in there and sustainable cities and responsible consumption. So I've suddenly realized that instead of, or at least my generational shift is instead of just looking at the most extreme problems, there's time, space and authority Mm. to look at things at every single level and try and change things at every single level. And not everyone's got the time or inclination to worry about malaria but we should be worrying also about the nhs yeah you know so and also i think people do now know that if we could change uh, the situation of women it would be in every issue yeah yeah uh, the, you know and they say it about climate change now yeah. don't they? that if you could sort out equality for women that would be the single biggest how, on, a, on a scale of one to ten how much of a feminist do you think you are I'm, assuming, I'm presuming. I'm not going to get ten, am I? I oh don't my think. God. I don't think I'm going to get ten, but I would think nine. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've given my answer nine. What, what, what do you think it is? Like six. Right. Most. <laughs> what did you He's give not me? That much I gave you. In theory, You're seven. More. In practice, four. No, yeah. he's, he's not. more theoretically. Yeah. You lose a lot for the chicks. Theoretically, birds, birds you do yeah. absolutely nothing in terms of the. Song. I was singing Norwegian Wood on the way here, and he call, he calls her a bird, doesn't he? Yeah, but he's t- more sort of like metaphorically. Okay. But also, this I think that flown. that is a really interesting example where I think men and people that aren't that into it often think that like it's literally just the language and the language is fine like if it's in a certain situation it's okay it's what the language then leads to which is this general treatment of women yeah. by men is I've actually object. got this new thing of when people call women their misses <laughs> which just really started to bug me when they're not married when, when they're, they're not are. married the people yeah. call their girlfriends their misses mm. um, I'm so stuck on that by the way <laughs> because I used to, I mean, I've never used the term missus, sorry, but the problem is I did describe Emma as my girlfriend for 20 years, but I'm now deeply aware that when I say my girlfriend, the person I'm talking to thinks I've replaced Emma yeah, with, with a, a younger with a, yeah. person. So no, I'm stuck with the mother of I won't go for married. partner. I won't go for Would you lover. call her missus? No, I call her the mother of my children, <laughs> yeah. which I think is probably the Then it the also worst. sounds like you've got divorced. Yeah, I think Emma. I think use the name, yeah. even if they, even if you think they don't know. Yeah. Why did you and Emma not get married? Oh, I don't know. It's such a complicated thing. I I actually think the reason is because the wedding we would have wanted was would have broke. Bro- my mum would my mum would have been really unhappy with right. And the only reason for getting married was to please my mum. But we would have had to ask so oh, many God. so many of her friends. Yeah, so we're yeah. not, we're not, me, Fiona and I are not married, I, I think mainly because of God, because we don't believe in God. Yes, yeah, there would have been that awkward moment in the wedding service yeah. when they started talking about... So why do you think one of your most famous films, why, why, do you, why was it about weddings? What you got this well, because I'd been to 72 weddings in three years. Wow. Um, and in fact, having written that film, that's... I mean, I, we actually made up our minds during the writing that of that You would never get married. And we wouldn't get married, right. exactly. Can we talk about the female characters in your films? Yes, please. Yes, we definitely can. Um, so um, in, in Mary and Martha, which was my film named after two women, um, they are, of course, you know, the leading characters who use their power as women to, to change the law. 
Uh, number one ladies detective agency <laughs> You're such um, a uh, was, uh, as you know, um, entirely uh, based on women. And of course, The Vicar of Dibley mm. uh, was yeah. a piece of work. One of the top about... three uh, situation comedies of all time. You know, exactly But also, I think The Vicar of Dibley was very feminist. Well, no, I actually, I think. And it do, was really powerful. Right, quite strong women. And I think that probably is a lot because of your mum. So how much is this about you as a daughter doing what daughters do, which is kind of, you know, prick the I bottom of their dad? Or I actually, actually do you... don't do that with no, it, my dad that much. Yeah, I think there is a problem with... I mean, I do think there's a problem with the girls in the film. I think there's a problem with some of the girls in the romantic films. Which one? Like... They are these kind of ideals of what girls can be. But actually, compared to a lot of other romantic comedies, you do really well. I mean, if you look, strangely, I started best. I think probably the best one is Emma Thompson in the first movie. Oh, yeah. Who is extremely uh, strong, interesting, the funniest character in some ways in the movie. Um, But then I do think the sort of trope into which I got and the fact that I always saw it from the male perspective, I do... But then I did Bridget. Yeah, no, I... Yeah. And you are a bloke. Yeah. 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 But The Vicar of Dibley, like, that got quite a lot of backlash, didn't it? In terms of, it was a very bold statement to be writing a sitcom about a female vicar. Weirdly, it may be be the most... Yeah, which I loved. I think she's a a great feminist I mean, it may be that that was the most political thing I've ever done in my work, because I was... I I mean, I wrote the sitcom in order to achieve a, a model of people being able to see... That because I went to someone's um, wasn't a wedding because women weren't allowed to be priests, and there was a woman in you know the where the council chamber or mm. whatever they did it, and I suddenly thought this is so much better. I don't talk to my dad about my romantic problems. I talk to my mum. So if you're going to have a relationship blessed, it should obviously be mm. a woman, a woman doing mm. it. And therefore, I thought, well, it's ridiculous. They're not in the Church of England. So I tried to write something which would just give people an image that they could all live with. So whenever anybody said, you know, female vicars, they wouldn't, they'd have a user-friendly and image. And I do think it, I really Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Do you get yeah. lots of stuff from female vicars saying that you inspired them? Yeah. I mean, it was all based on this incredibly pretty woman called Joy Carroll. Pretty. Was she lovely? <laughs> was she nice and lovely as well? Yeah, she was nice, nice and lovely, nice. yeah. <laughs> and am I allowed to say that my favourite film that you ever made was Trash? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, Spike said that when he saw it. He said it's the first film with any, you know, because it had some guns in it yeah. uh, and some, and some chasing. Um, well, that's lovely, yeah. I mean, uh, thank you. And if this podcast achieves anything, um, <laughs> two, two rentings on iTunes <laughs> trash. of Trash, my Portuguese... Um, movie would be. Um, I loved it. Yeah. So listen, you've 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 given him a hard time on the on the feminism. Uh, the other thing I've so, and and I've I've got to say, if you'd have said to me what I would have thought his marks out of ten would have been, I'd have been up with the nines as well with him. Just having watched him from afar, I don't know him as well as you. But the second thing I want to say is that um, how so you've you've educated you think you've educated him and he thinks he's been educated. And what about on the mental health side of things? Because you've Rich has always struck me as kind of completely together up top. I don't know whether I'm right again, I don't know if that's right or wrong. Whereas I know through you and also through Grace that you've had all sorts of challenges. Mm. So I just wonder whether you've done no, good education on that as well. Very good question. Weirdly, not to 
sound like gushy, but I think you really, you really actually helped me in some ways talk about it because I think when I started going through it, you were one of the only people publicly talking about it and I knew that my parents knew you and also you were someone who was very successful and out there and I think when I started going through what uh, when my brain started kind of falling apart I thought that it meant that I just was never gonna have a normal life like ever Mm. and I remember actually really clearly at the age of 19 being like okay I'm just never gonna be able to like live I'll just like live um at my parents with cats forever um but no I think it has I mean I'm interested to hear from you I think it's been hard because and this is definitely wrong but when I first got because I got physically sick and then I got really mentally sick and when I got when both of those happened I felt like we had this perfect wonderful family that was like you know Curtis land obviously isn't real but like our family is really happy majority of the time and we'd had a really amazing childhood and I remember literally thinking like I've broken the family and like I'm the the, I've kind of messed everything up and I bet they all just wish that I would like disappear because um everyone would be so happy if I wasn't here and I think that was really hard and then I think actually in the end my parents have been incredible and like a lot of the stuff I go through, you guys really don't understand it, but you do uh, sort of take time for it. And there's a, I think it's a really interesting distinction between like, I spent ages trying to make you fully understand what was going on. And I don't think you'll ever understand it, but you will be there for me during it. Yeah, I mean, the big complicating factor here is my sister yeah. who is mm. in an urn in the corner mm. there. Oh, wow. So, you know, Bindi was, was well until 25 and then became really sick. And I remember the day when I went to see a doctor with her, a brilliant doctor, and we had chatted and then he just called me back in and said, I want you to know she will never be well. Really? What and was then, the condition? Do you know, we never really knew. And if I was told her name, but, you know, she finally took her own life and she was 54. So, um, you know, it's been a huge thing mental Mm. health in my family so in a way the strange thing is and Scarlett's very aware of this but I suppose the strange thing is that there was an extra frisson and fear Mm. when Mm. Scarlett I'm endlessly trying because I've got a million things to say about Scarlett that relate to Bin but I think it's completely different situation but that's where what she was just saying about you Alistair because Bin's life was very very complicated and full of all sorts of tragic sorrows as well as you know joys but it wasn't reconciled with as it were a public life yeah um and she was she yeah exactly she was really 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 hard hit by it so one of the things that i tried to understand through and with scarlet is mental health in the context of a life that proceeds rather than one that you know is really Mm. uh, is my assessment about you right that generally you you're a, you always strike me as like right, an extraordinary kind of happy together positive person. Is that right? Uh, not really, but, but I mean, I think I think I have benefited from a certain shallowness uh, during, <laughs> during the course of my life, um, and of a cheerful demeanour and of uh, you know a, a loving. You know, having come from a very happy family, the thing is, I haven't enjoyed work much. 
and I find work very hard and very stressful and very complicated. I know. And Scarlett would say it's a mental health issue, which she is also um, paying the price for. Well, you're addicted to work. Well, I don't know. The other day my therapist said I needed to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, I would would support that. The problem with work... But the problem is, I've got... With all three of you, I've I got, feel like I'm the least workaholic in, in this I've got circle. too much work to go to Workaholics Anonymous. I mean, I'd love, <laughs> yeah. I'd love to go, but well, I'm I too busy. If, I thought if I went, I'd find a really successful boyfriend. Yes, exactly. I was really rich. <laughs> yeah, but then he'd keep cancelling dates. Yeah. Yeah. Because he'd be but working. I, I, like, I don't want to go on dates. just work together. Just yeah. Yeah. Um, something that... There's a weird thing, and I don't know if you've had this, but like, I think when you have mental health, problems um you so often feel so alien to everyone around you and I definitely felt that like in this family sometimes you and mum have never been fully like kind of taken over by your brain or had your brain betray you which is what I felt like I have so long and um there's this weird thing when suddenly when someone when you meet someone who has it it's almost like you really want it like you're like yes we can talk Mm. about this and they get me and you a few years ago um, actually started to get quite anxious. Like there was one work thing you were going through and, and suddenly you were having for the first time in your life all these um, things that I would associate with anxiety. And Did it make yeah. you happy? It was really nice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, I felt like you understood me. Except yes. there was also this Out one... Out comes the Ciprolex. Yeah. And Scarlett's thrilled. Have you taken your Ciprolex? I know. And we could talk about it and I felt yeah. like I had really good advice. And, and that, But there was this one day in New York where we both had simultaneous panic attacks (laughs) and um we were at this thing and my dad started having a a, what we now think is a panic attack and you thought you were having a heart attack and then I because I'm really scared of you dying started having a panic attack because I thought you were having a heart attack and then I ended up calling an ambulance and you were like freaking out and got in the ambulance and I was like crying on the side of the street like my dad's gonna die and my mum I I've never seen her so angry in my whole life she's just with both of us, she was like, for being pathetic. what the hell is going on? You're both having panic attacks, and now we have to pay. We were in America, so now we have to pay like hundreds of dollars, <laughs> for, an dollars for an ambulance. And like, uh, but we chose not to do it because I had a job to do the next day, didn't we? And we decided, yeah, you decided, not to decided go. if the I ambulance. See, I'm quite, it's, it's interesting because I'm quite, I'm quite encouraged by that. What the, to hear that Richard has the odd. Panic attack. Oh, no, so this funny thing happened for me where, like... It wasn't a heart attack. This funny thing happened for me where, like, we had this big group of family friends and um, I got really mentally ill and was suddenly, like, crazy and screaming. And my brothers were never that part of it, but they go, yeah, we remember you, like, screaming. That was weird. And, um, And I just thought everyone else was fine and, like, they were all so happy and perfect and had these perfect lives. And slowly over the past 10 years, I've like pulled the mental illness mm. out of them and like made everyone in my life start talking about their own. Oh, you've actually made everyone in life <laughs> mad. It may be that you've got the chicken and the egg the wrong way around. No, but I do Maybe. think everyone has a little bit yeah, of Yeah, and it's whatever has happened, even if I've caused it, it's made me feel more normal to know that my parents do have like these moments of yeah. things that could be described as mental illness. Because I think we all have a mental health and. And when you, but, sorry, no, all I was just going to say is, is it's great to be having this conversation because com- both of these are big issues where conversation could do nothing but help. Aren't yeah, yeah. Exactly. the more you talk about feminist things and about the relationships between men and women politically and all of that, it helps. And the more you talk about mental illness, uh, yeah, I think so. It helps. Hope so. I also think intergenerationally, mm. those conversations are incredibly important because often 
I find that we think and treat these issues in different ways to like your generation would. We're yeah. much more happy to just sit down with a stranger and start talking about it. Well, at least Scarlett and I are. But that's why I think hearing you two talk about this, how these issues affect you differently is super fascinating. How do you feel when you like come see me and I'm like completely gone? Just before you answer that, what, what's your, what, when you're completely gone, what does that look like? So I, I think, uh, well, what I was diagnosed with was anxiety, depression and PTSD, which yeah. is a really fun big three. Mm, and I think cocktail. the anxiety and the PTSD I live with all day, every day, which is just like, I'm, I sort of wake up in fight or flight uh, mode and I'm always very stressed and I'm always very anxious and I have panic attacks. And that's something I'm really working on, curb, like has gotten a lot better. But then I do have these depressive periods where I just, it's like my brain has like gone completely black and I can't really speak and I can't really. And it's you, quite like you. Right. Yeah. And, you, and you literally not want to be here. Yeah. And it's and really And you think that they dark. would rather you weren't here as well. Yeah. Everything I think about becomes the worst version of it and I can't really even like move really and it's pretty horrible but they've gotten I mean they used to last like a whole week and now I'd say it only lasts like a day so how is that Richard when that happens well uh, it makes me sad that's a big thing it also makes me I feel patient I go into a patient mode because I think this is something that can't be um, you know that you mustn't panic about or um, be impatient with Mm. and then practical mm-hmm. and I think that that's both a good thing and sometimes a worrying thing but particularly in New York when Scarlett was a bit gloomy and I was there we used to spend quite a lot of time just sort of marking out her weeks and days because I think often that is you know that's one of the answers to try and take some practical mm-hmm. uh, solutions and I also know that's only a fifth of the mm. of the issue but it's you it's the one thing you can do is help with planning and an action, so it's a it's a complicated something you've helped me with so much that I think you never acknowledge was help, and I worry about people not realizing how powerful this is. But just like talking about other things, like I mm. I can always talk about books. It's like one thing, and often when I'm depressed, I like obsessively think about books. And the amount of like book plots I've read to you. Just like, and you have no interest at What, books all. that you're writing? Or no, just that I've read. Like, I just will t- say to him, like, can I just describe to you the mm. plot of this book? And he's like, yeah, sure. And the I'm great just... thing is I don't really read books. And so <laughs> you know, I love them. people telling me. I remember having a great, great walk with my friend Tim McInerney telling me what happened in Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> because I knew I would never <laughs> see I would never see Reservoir Dogs. I don't see it. But sometimes I think... I mean, I'd love to read that book, Half the Sky. I believe that's absolutely marvellous. But I... Scarlett can just tell you the plot. Yeah, it's time she's depressed. Um, But it's like, I I sometimes think it's just so nice when you're in that place and your brain is just exploding to be able to, like, talk about something really benign. And it means you have this, like, ten minutes where you just feel human again. But do you feel, because you do a lot of public work, on mental health and so do you dad do you think that that helps it or when you're bad can it make it worse no I think it's helped so much like for me there were always two levels of it there was the actual mental illness which I truly believe is like a brain function thing yeah and then there was the shame about it which was as 
big, I'd say, and as powerful. And I felt so much shame. I would say for like six years, the defining feeling of my whole life was shame. I just was ashamed of every single thing about me. And that has gone by talking about mental health. Like it's literally gone. And I, I react really badly to antidepressants and I have found it really hard to find treatment that helps me. And like the fact that I've actually been able to cut in half my experience with this just through talking has been like, and, and, and when you said how hard it was how how much of that was the sense that you were you alluded to this earlier that you had this perfect family that you felt you weren't quite fitting in because yeah, you weren't the same as them a big part of it and I just felt I think yeah and I just didn't know but also I, I mean so <clears> we are we have moved forward a lot since, like, say, you started talking about this. But even when we were teenagers, yeah, none no of our one. role models were talking no. about having mental health. No, I would illness. obsessively, like, if a celebrity alluded to it in an interview, I would, like, obsessively become their number one read fan. it yeah. and become their number one fan and, like, copy and paste this one paragraph in an interview where they said they sometimes felt, felt anxious. Yeah. Felt a bit peaky. <laughs> there isn't as much football in this uh, as yeah, I'd sorry, expected. <laughs> so how much on a scale of one cent of a football fan are you? What's your uh, there are story? two answers to that. My football story is I didn't know anything about football because um, I was living in Sweden and arrived in uh, England at a boarding school. I can only remember two names, Peter Osgood mm-hmm. and Charlie George. Very good. So maybe a friend Great of mine yeah. was that, obviously. Um, and so really nothing until I started going out with them and we started going to Wolverswick in the summer and uh, I was pushed into four new friends because Emma had her best friends there and I had to get on with their uh, spouses who were all obsessed by football. So we would meet in the parish lantern and they'd you know take out the salt and the pepper and say well if so and so is on the wing and everything like that (laughs) so i i was silent for the first two years and i've slowly started to learn and have opinions and i feel like a complete fake which i am because i don't know the peter osgood fact but at least i do know all the members of the tottenham hotspur yeah and And spurs your team they were groomed by this guy simon delaney to support spurs And then, so I now know all the people in the Spurs team. And then the big thing... Do you go thing, to matches? A few. And the big thing for me is that I've always been obsessed by charts. And right. I'm, every okay. weekend, I love it. Three yeah. points, one point, <laughs> zero points. And then when you get to the end of the season... Oh, charts, I don't mean chants. No, charts, no. I'm obsessed by the charts. I mean, I love the charts as yeah. well. How yeah. do jokes so arise? Yeah. So anyway, I've uh, from not belonging in this podcast at all, I've actually got a tiny toe in it because okay. the I'm giving that, so I'm, As a marketer, I'm giving that 2.3. I think 2.3 oh, is yeah. really he generous. He all the charts. Yeah, he loves the charts. Okay, three. Let's put it up to three. He reads them every single week. So when, when it comes to the World Cup, you know, we've I've thought it through so carefully, you know, the random picking of the we each member of the family gets given certain teams and then they're on post it notes on the wall. It's like and a you see how they, <laughs> what is the score in the Germany Sweden women's uh yes, so Oh I do know that was two one. There you go, that's good. I mean this is where we were just talking about this. Sometimes things do get better. It's really important in life. This is what I think you were saying about me and my optimism yeah is that i saw obama the other day saying if you could choose any moment in the history of humanity to be born it's as i'm speaking now 
things are better than they've ever been. And well, no, but there will always be there will always be wars. But but um, I think that the deliberate effort to make women's football popular by the powers that be, by the broadcasters, yeah. yeah, all of that. Unbelievable. Yeah, the yeah, fact that, that 7 million people watch yeah. a match, which two years ago would have been on the seventh smallest shape. It's a really good example yeah. how if a society moves, and this is helping on mental health as well, if a society chooses to move, mm. it can move. Mm. And so, I, I mean, the only reason really I know that happen. is because yeah. something rather wonderful yeah. has I, happened. I totally agree with that. Mm. You? But how, how are you, you feeling about that? The I'm loving it. I've never loved watching football and the Women's World Cup I'm so into, but I think that has a lot to do with the fact that England are doing so well. I do but that's think the same with every match. Totally. Like, I only watch matches when England do well. Yeah, sure. exactly. But so I think if England could get to the final, women's football in the UK... Yeah, well, yeah but this should... woman, Rapinoe, I mean, she her behaviour has been found because stories will yeah, arise do you know what that I mean so the true. fact that she stood up against Trump and then she yeah. scored both the goals fact, the other yeah. story about her is that her brother is, uh, has gone a totally different route and he's in jail spent half of his life yeah. in jail because of drugs and she talks about that as well And she, I mean she is an amazing character but I also think you say that I mean it's going it's even bigger in France yeah, that's and, true. You know, they get it's even bigger in America. I mean, in America, it's huge. So, no, I, I agree with Richard. And on that, you see, you are, this is the other thing about being an optimist, because I, I guess the other part of your life and legacy, the films, is all obviously very, very important. But, but comet relief. I mean, if your dad had done nothing but comet relief in his entire life, that's more than most human beings do. I don't think of them as working in the film industry. I only yeah. think of them as working in charity. Like ah. the films have happened three times in my lifetime. I. Don't I remember only three of them being made, or four maybe? I remember Love Actually vaguely, but you have spent every single hour of every single day working for a charity, and that's what I see them as. Yeah. And Comic Relief has changed the way that we view charity in this country, and for the better. It's sort of rebranded it in such a cool way. And now it needs to do so again, or it needs to be part of another change. I mean, I do think, and this is why I love all the campaigning to do with the goals and stuff like that, but I was trying to say, um, other people's lives are very hard. There's something you can do about it and you can enjoy doing it. And I think now people want the middle bit. There's something you can do about it, not only to give money, which yeah. I think is the gateway drug to caring. I actually think once you've given five pounds to an issue, you're much more likely to get engaged in it. But I think people in Scotland, I talk about this all the time, want to know what's happening, want political engagement, mm. Yeah. want to understand the structures of change and all that sort of stuff. So, in fact, a sort of energetic, muscular, transparent, semi-political mm. charity. And that's where, you know, Gre- Greta and co are coming in. So I, I and think... Help refugees. I think yeah, really and help refugees. So you, I think there's going you, to be exciting changes. Were you hurt at all when that row kicked off over the Stacey Dooley video, video and David Lammy spoke out? Well, I, well, I don't. Is, is hurt the right term? I mean, I'm always very nervous about controversy at the time of comic relief, which is obviously why that is the time mm. people criticise comic relief, because I could not go on doing comic relief if I didn't care passionately about every five pounds. Mm-hmm. So I just see lives being lost. I appreciate it's a really interesting, good, important, crucial discussion. For us to have, but at that that moment, you think, well, if that just stops someone watching the TV show or do the thing, well, 
it, it, so that makes me full of fear and sorrow. And that's why Comet Relief didn't reply more robustly because right. we didn't want to escalate the row. Yeah, but is there, is there any merit in what he called or people were calling the kind of white saviour trope? Um, definitely. Or at least it's part of a... Um, you know, you, sometimes you do something well, like I might do romantic comedies well, and then people start to see and sense the structure, and therefore you've got to move away from the yeah. structure. And even if I don't agree with it, the moment that someone says, well, this thing in your work, I can now see through, then I've got to change it. And I do, ag- I do agree that it's really important to reframe people's ideas about, po- about poverty. Um, and to sort of think what is the structures beneath it, what's causing it, and everything like that. That's a hard thing for us to do mm-hmm. in one night of entertainment. Yeah. But wow, we're taking it all seriously in terms of trying to think of new ways of fundraising based on joy, based on mm-hmm. sort of biography, based on time. We've suddenly started to send... And equality as well. Yeah, and equality. So I think the answer is massively important discussion. I don't know what sort of effect... It had, I think, gosh, when you're close to the news, I mean, you must be the king of this. You realise how literally nothing, how literally nothing is, nothing is true. Um, Do you know what I mean? So when it says Comet Relief makes 8 million less, well, this year, Peter Kay didn't do Phoenix Night Live at the Manchester Arena, which made us $5 million that we didn't get. And all TV audiences are going down and therefore whatever happens, we were yeah. going to make yeah. four or five minutes. So there is a way of interpreting this year's comic relief as we made three million more yeah. than expected. But that juxtaposition yeah. of, of story and fact is so tricky. But so I also think I, when that was happening, we kept saying this, not as many people as maybe you no, felt no, were reading about it. When you're going yeah. through it, you always you're, think yeah, it's yeah, totally. Yeah. Something I think is really interesting about the difference between the way that sort of activism and charity works intergenerationally is like I think with what me and Grace do we are I went into this knowing I was going to be wrong once a week and I was going to have to change my opinion like I am a you know middle class white feminist straight white feminist and that is a nightmare and I should barely even be doing the work that I'm doing and I just am constantly accepting of the fact that I'm going to relearn and relearn and relearn Mm. what it means to be a feminist and make huge mistakes and then change and then make another huge mistake and then change and I love that I love like realizing that I've been wrong and realizing that actually the conversation is bigger than I thought it was and then changing that and I think that um is something that definitely mum and maybe you is starting to realize like it can actually be really a beautiful part of this work. Yeah, I'm looking at Alistair now because one of the problems with politics is the way, as is it were, manifestos, is the way that it's very hard for people once they've said something mm. to change their yeah. mind and yeah. changing your mind becomes not only tactically bad but almost a sin mm. at exactly the point where actually you, you should be should willing be. to say experiences yeah. have changed this is what we thought about food banks. Now we think this about food mm. banks. This is what we thought about this country. Now we think this about this country. I mean, yeah. it is one of the problems of politics that because you're not only attacked for being wrong, if you're wrong, your you're enemies done. attack you yeah, for changing yeah. your mind, yeah. even though you've changed your mind to the thing that they now agree with. I mean, that I sort of think... freezing of politics is a real problem, isn't it? Uh, what like... do you think? When you was, if you were speaking to an audience of people of 
my age, your dad's age, yeah. like a whole room full, and they say, define feminism for us. What is it? I my The thing that I would say is just feminism is literally the belief that men and women should be equal because I think that is at its barest bones what it is. I think intersectional feminism is the fight for equality in much more uh, in many more areas and kind of the acknowledgement that the patriarchy works to hold down people by their race by their sexuality by their gender by their physical ability by them by their class by anything and that is the feminism i'm interested in but i think if i was talking to a room of people that maybe were skeptical the basic belief is that people should be equal um but no i think that changing your mind that like we had two really interesting examples of it on the period campaign mm. one was that we the period poverty campaign the period poverty campaign one was that when we went in we hadn't acknowledged that trans people women yeah that w- w- not all women get yeah. periods and not all people that get periods are women so a lot of men get their period if they haven't you know yeah. taken and so we had to change, change the language and say change the language and a lot of women we don't get there. their period um because they weren't necessarily born with a womb. And then the other thing was we were still using the word sanitary products. And we were told by a lot of people we were working with that actually the very term sanitary sort of stigmatizes periods and makes it this idea that it's something unclean that needs yeah, to needs be to like be cleaned, cleaned up. And so we changed all the language to menstrual. And it would have been very easy to see those things as criticisms. But I think it's so fun to be like, oh yeah, God, I never yeah. thought of that. Like, let's change mm. it. What football team do you support? Burnley. <laughs> do you think you should change your mind? Because they're not a very good team. Are they? They're a very good team. Are actually. they? Yes, they're, 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 we got to Europe last year and we're a very small club in a small town. Did you go on holiday in Europe, all of you, because you weren't in any competition? So no, you I, went, went to, to, I went to every single game. No, last year, yeah. I'm a bit of a 10. Every yeah. Football, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, has it brought you... It's on the match. and pain. Yeah, how would you do that? Because I sometimes used to think with the Spurs supporters that it had been an exercise in pain. Now, of course, it's getting easier and easier. But Burnley even more. That's what I love about you. I'm so jealous of football fans. Are you zero on football? I'm zero. Right. She's our first zero, isn't she? Saddest thing. It's a very sad thing But when we did the World Cup, you picked Brazil. Yeah, I know, by mistake. I think and, you it didn't and you didn't really care. I, I, I've you have tried to care. really hard. I've tried really hard, and I think you can't... Um, it's actually what I really believe with books. So, like, people always go to me, I wish I could read more books. And I'm like, it's not hard for me to read books. It's really hard for me to care about football. Yeah. Like, yeah. I could yeah. spend as much time as I spend reading books on that. But, but I'm I have, so I have much more time for that. The ones I can't stand are the ones who sort of pretend Women's no. World Cup comes along and they sort of Excuse think... Oh, Excuse me. Is it's because so I love rude. women. Yeah. So you are talking I, But I'm really jealous of it. And I wish I had... I think partly because so much of my life is so, like, interior and my interior can be quite horrible. Yeah. I wish I had something exterior. And I was watching the Democratic debates the other day and I stayed up to like 3am to watch them and I was so excited and I was like sweating and um, <laughs> like marking everyone out 10. I was like, this is what it's like to like football. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and by the way, the shape that football gives weeks, again, you know, I, I'm, I'm even going to say I'm a 1.5, but I've now, <laughs> no, fine. but I've started to really love, I think what's this week all about? And I think <laughs> oh, it's all about Saturday where this big thing is going to happen. And so actually... Monday to Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, but Monday to Friday aren't as bad, are they? When you know there's something happening in the evening, you know there's excitement. And actually, because I'm not a 10, the pain is quite fleeting. Right. You just go Mm. down two places and the other people go up. 
and then you and then you look forward to the next one because you're optimistic all over again. Yeah, no, I, that's I, it's definitely a mood thing for me, isn't it? Can we talk about Love Island? I'm trying to pronounce that properly because I always say Love Island. No, that was wrong again. Was it wrong? Yeah. So you Love, love Island, it, Richard. I really love as love does Scarlett. Island. My yeah. dad is complete. He just he's never watched it and he can't get his head tell around him it. Why, tell well. him why you love it. Well, I remember it happened a bit on Big Brother. You know, I write about love all the time and I'm making up characters who do it in order to try and give the buzz in people's heart of what they feel at these amazing moments of your life when you fall in love. And in Love Island, it's actually happening in front of your very eyes. Is it really? You've said it makes you not want to write films anymore. It really is. (laughs) Do you know? And the thing is, it is overcooked and it's over-accelerated. But they do go in there, they do, and you see stuff you're not allowed to see in real life. The first conversation, the first lie, the moment when somebody (laughs) suddenly has fallen, talks to a friend about it, the awkwardness when it turns out not to be right, the joy when two people who are both weird are suddenly really getting on with each other and have that that pact against the world where they can survive because of the fact that they found each other. So it could be your business. What? He could put you out of business. Yeah. No. This. I mean, I've been saying this to Danny Ball. I mean, saying, <laughs> why do we spend two years making a two hour film? You'll never write when, a character as good as Maura. When, no. Yeah, never write you a character as good as Maura. Or, She's this unbelievable Irish woman. In yeah. But, you know, two hours of Love Island. I mean, it's a, it's a real toss up whether you should, you should go and see I'm my shocked. new film. It's or, great television. Yeah, sure. It really it is. is. It's and from my point of view, also, I think you're watching the patriarchy in action, which I find fascinating. Yeah, wow. Why? And the sort of body Just because the stuff. boys, the boys can behave so yeah. Yeah. badly. And it very much like reaction. It, it puts Why do you men it? and women against I each other. Have, I'm very, in the same way you're obsessed with football, I'm very obsessed with inequality. Like, it's the only thing in the world that I... I just love it. Like, I... Do you love it? <laughs> I don't love it, obviously, but I find it more fascinating than anything in the entire world. I, like, will... I just would read about it for years and years and watch it for years and years. I think watching how inequality happens and how power happens and how... But then don't you want to... Then you want, it doesn't well, want like, you to change it. we do change it. Like, that's what we do. But also but, in, so, in Love Island, there are people who, like yeah. Nora, are a really good example of how you tackle that and how, and how you, you fight it. against she it. she is fighting for herself and she's been, like, conditioned not to and the other girls are kind of shocked by it. And you just get to see it play out and I think it's so interesting and mm. I And Richard, it. you don't see it as a sort of lowest common denominator thing in the TV world? Well, I've always loved Lois Commandant Metro. I'm a great fan of pop and you. Uh, you know. No, but I really am. I've yeah. never thought Some I have to go. I have to go. I have to go up. Um, I can see there's another side to it. I do worry about them, you know, uh, that, that things are going to be hard for them afterwards. I can see that it's got a certain amount of fakery in it. Mm. But yeah, on balance, I'm not allowing. This is you just think it's a really delight. good love story. I'm not allowing my negative. It's a really interesting thing about emotions within a group of friends. It really is. Do you know, like a lot of people, you know, Roberts from Robertson Crusoe onwards, take a bunch of people away mm. in order to identify, yeah. uh, you know, do yeah. the fiction. So shipwreck Lord or lost, flies. Lord of the Flies, yeah. everything like that. It's, it's a bit like that. Yeah. I just on your work, I mean, I mean we're going to see... The, we need, yeah, let's talk about yeah, yesterday. I, I just, just briefly on this. I mean, I'm fascinated about where an idea like that just comes from. Where well, does it, that one came from another bloke. Someone yeah, just how, rang me Where up. does it come from? What happens? You know, you're wandering around your... If, if you've got... 
if you've got an alert that says that the life that I'm living may have a content for fiction, yeah, then at some point there's a sort of like there's a fusing. So I was, you know, on Notting Hill. I used to drive down to my friends Piers and Paula and every day on a Thursday to clap and to have dinner. And I was just thinking in the car, if I turn up with Madonna, that would be funny. Because <laughs> what will happen is Helen Fielding will go nuts and Piers and Paula for the whole night won't have any idea Madonna wasn't in who the she car. is. No, no, no. no. I was literally. Now, for a normal person, that would just be a thought. Yeah. But for me, because I'm a writer that thought suddenly becomes something that you turn into a reality. So I think that's one of the things, is that you, you live the same life as everyone else, but at certain moments, electric things, in the same way as you in politics, you would see something, you'd see a woman in a corridor in the NHS, and I'd say, oh, I wonder what she's got, and um, poor thing. Whereas you'd say there's a structural change politically that needs... To happen here, so you would think of something in terms of policy, and I would think right. of something. But how did your mate have this idea that the, there's going to be this kind of, you know, the world's going to lose all power for a minute, but this one guy's going to be not affected by that, and he's going to be the only person who's ever <laughs> who knows. Well, the then you're, so much how of it. That? So much of it is, uh, you know. So that was the idea. Yeah. That was the idea, and then you think, write down on a bit of paper what are four ideas in which that could. Happen. I mean, there's a scene in Love, actually, where he, Andrew Lincoln comes with a bunch of cards. Yeah. To, and I remember there were f- four girls working in our office. I knew that he had to make a final gesture. And I wrote down five ideas. And I went out and said to the girl, should he fly a plane over the top, have these signs, fill the, um, the muse with roses... You know, what, <laughs> what, what should he walk around with us? You know, and they said, oh, that, that, in fact, they got it wrong because apparently it's now referred to as the stalking scene. But, <laughs> but, uh, do you know what I mean? So it's like, it's so much yeah. more like normal work. You just think of five things, you pick the best one, you look at the practicalities. He's very practical with his writing. It's very interesting. He's very much the opposite of what we think of as a tortured artist. He like sits down and writes. Mm. Would that film would yesterday have worked if the Beatles' estate had decided they didn't want no. it to happen? No, no, no. We got very. They had to there. happen. Yeah, they had, yeah, to, they had to agree. Did I mean, you if, have a plan B? If no, if it had been a film about the way <laughs> that, a, yeah. that a serial killer picked a different song every time he committed a murder, I think the estate would not have yeah. endorsed it. But you've it, now so. given, as if they need it, you've just shown me your chart obsession downstairs, you've given a massive boost to the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, although we have to understand here. I mean, the great thing about writing about the Beatles is they are Mount Everest. Mm. We're a tiny little colourful, te- colourful tent pitched at base camp, you know. Mm. I didn't feel as though I could have, I couldn't have any negative effect and the positive effect will be I'm, I must fleeting. say, for the younger generation, though, it will be reintroducing people to their music. Like, do you remember when Kanye West made a song with Paul McCartney and all these kids were tweeting, Oh, I know. Oh, this Paul McCartney guy's going to get so famous after it's this so song. Funny, like, yeah, like no, that's, a nice, yeah. that's a nice thought, isn't I it? I think that will happen. Richard and Scarlett, your dream six-a-side teams to change your life. One, 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 one. So, okay, I'm going to start. I'll <laughs> yeah. start with um, the women. So I'm going to pick um, uh, Jacinda Ardern mm-hmm. because I think that there is a need to pass on the political 
thing. There's more emotion needed. There's a profound sense of right or wrong, of adventure and all that kind of things. So I'm, I'm basically aiming for the SDGs. That's my, okay. I'm trying to get them achieved. That's mm-hmm. the reason I'm picking my team. Honestly, I'm focusing, so angry. I'm focusing all on, um, <laughs> I'm focusing on the next, 11 years and trying yeah. to change politics. Okay, so a yeah. young politician, Greta, yeah. uh, is that the one that makes you angry? Yeah. The reason I'm focusing on her is because I think that it's really important that a younger generation, young people find a new way of campaigning like Scarlett, but I thought it would be wrong to pick Scarlett. And why are you not happy about that? Well, like, why would you pick her, not me? Yeah. yeah no, but it's that. partly because I, I you can't was. Even fly around. I, I, go partly because I was in the room in 2005 when the Make Poverty History campaign yeah. said no climate because we thought they were separate things. Yeah. And I think that the big challenge in the next year is to prove that people are planet and planet are people. Okay. Uh, and then I'm just going to pick my friend Alar Murabit, who is a uh, amazing. Uh, she's also a UN advocate. She's an extraordinary advocate for women, particularly in peace negotiations, yeah. where she says there's a massive record. She's also, you know, she set up a, a, um, uh, organization in Libya when she was there in the middle of the war to try and take care of, you know, to try and make sure that women, just when women were being shot, as it were, that they were empowered. And she likewise is, has a great intellectual rigor. And in a way, like I'm going to do in the men, any changes that happen can no longer happen, as it were, from Washington yeah, yeah. and London. So you need people from all over the world campaigning at both a local and a... Mm-hmm. Gives you men. Yeah, men. Thomas Clarkson. Yeah. So one book I have read is a book called Bury the Chains, which is almost my favourite book, which is it was a great education. It's a book about how slavery got abolished here. I think William Wilberforce tried to get it through 11 times in Parliament. Is that right? Or 14? It took him a lifetime. But Thomas Clarkson was the one fighting at the, you know, he was, he did whatever it was, 10,000 miles on a horse every single year, holding meetings and everything, never losing patience, always sticking to it, but also doing some amazing things. Like the breakthrough moment in the slavery campaign was that reproduction of a slave ship where you saw, and also um, they made that, what's the name of the famous crockery firm? that he then convinced... Wedgwood. Wedgwood. Yeah. Wedgwood did a cup yeah. that had a picture of a man saying, you are my brother, and everything like that. So he used the methods that I try and use for campaigning that are Yeah, you can, do, you can see symbolic. how all of those apply. Yeah. yeah. So him, Martin Luther King, yeah. just because I don't think you can deny the power of real idealism. I think that you have to battle to be both profoundly practical, but there is nothing to replace the sort of energy of passion and commitment. And every time I go to a meeting and I'm thinking I'm kind of being practical and giving good solutions and I walk out and I haven't said one thing from my heart, I profoundly regret, regret it. Yeah. So I think you need someone we to We saw that the other day with dreams. Kamala Harris. Mm. Yeah, she exactly. She won because of her heart. Mm. And I thought the one that was going to make you angry was I've written here, Colombian guy. What? <laughs> Um, and the Colombian guy, he's the guy at the end of the phone when I have my UN meetings, who's just this amazing <laughs> organizer from Colombia. I don't, I can't, Do you know don't, his name? don't know his name, don't know his job. I saw that. I thought it was going to be something. No, but all I know is that it is local people 
fighting for what they yeah. believe in, being empowered by the goals, because you can go to people and but say, wait a minute, the... you promised this. No, he doesn't SG. work for the UN. No, no, no. He runs a small... No, because we've got a hub uh, of interested hub. parties. Okay. And he's always talking about great stuff that he's done in Colombia and how he's spreading it across to other South American countries <laughs> and how they're now going to come to New York and do that. And Well, a name so, would be good. Yeah, yeah. Name, let's find yeah. out his name and we can add it on somehow. He's very old. Come on, Scarlett. Yeah. Um, mine are all women. My first... all women, yeah. even the men, <laughs> even the men. You said three of each. This is breaking the rules. Did we? That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, three men, three women. I didn't have that sauce. I didn't know that. Um, my first one is Grace Campbell, Aww. who has changed my life in every single way, and I think is the most incredible person. And I think something you've you've taught me so many things, but one thing you've taught me is like how to be strong-willed and confident and that that can really help and also you have the most incredible combination which I think is what you're talking about between heart and organization and like you truly understand that if you want to get something done you have to work hard at it and I think a lot of people especially people our age sort of have these big ideas and want to do things and talk about them at pubs but don't actually do them and you have really taught me how to like go through the practical steps to get it's so done, sweet incredible that's yeah so seeing as how that's literally so my motto is to make things happen you have to make things i mean it's that's quite great. interesting that you didn't listen to me but you listened to <laughs> well, I, found I was saying someone, that i know but i found someone who does it in the most incredible way and okay. you make me feel like i can do anything which Aww, is everything well so do you my second person is Virginia Woolf, and if I could only have one person, it would be her, because I think she had this idea of feminism and of peace that we still are catching up with today, and if someone wrote what she wrote about women and about peace now, it would change the world, and you know, um, my favourite book in the whole world is a book she wrote called Three Guineas, which is this idea of women within peace negotiations and women within peace and how if women around the world it would be run in a completely different way and she was writing at this time when the suffragettes were fighting for like total equality like we're the same and she kept saying we aren't the same but what women have to bring is positive and yeah. actually conserve the world and that's very much the feminism I believe in which is mm. like we're not inherently the same but we as women have something to offer cool um she's amazing my third one is Angela Merkel because I think she's absolutely great and she's a huge hero of mine um then i have two sort of practical ones well the men we're not the no. men <laughs> i also have alama Rabbit because oh. um she's my hero absolutely she's one of the most incredible women i've ever met i feel so lucky to know her i think she's a really really extraordinary person um and she's and then, so not dull oh my god she? she's That's so fun yeah. Thing, yeah um and then a woman called trisha shetty who Love is her. an indian activist who runs this incredible group called she says in India, which is like the most prominent anti-rape group there, and she is the most passionate person I've ever met and also the most organised. She's so practical. When we did our free periods campaign, she had already done it in India and abolished the tampon tax in India, and she gave me all the advice. Wow. And she knows how to use exactly what you're saying. She knows how to use social media, but she also is just incredible. And the stuff she puts up with should mm. put like the whole world to shame. Like, right. She gets rape threats every five minutes of the day from these men that see her on the news and she's just brave and amazing. Passionate and organised. That's a very good thing to extrapolate. How many it? have I done now? Five. One, two, three. Oh, well, then my last one is probably Oprah because I think she would fund us 
And I yeah. think that's a huge <laughs> issue. Oprah's been on almost every list. Has she? Yeah. No. Yeah. I just she's think you need... I think Greta's winning in it. You no, need... definitely Oprah. I'm Oprah. counting. You need, the, um, you need the money to get yeah. this done. Yeah. And I, I think mean, she's a capitalist genius. They're not going to score many goals, that team. That's all I say. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, thank you both that very was much. Great. I, um, I'm not going to lie, I thought that was a really different podcast yeah, hope than so. what we've done. We've recorded all of season one now, that's our last one. Is it? Yeah. Okay. And it was just very different, having two people, also a father and daughter. Father and daughter. First person we've had who's older than me. Yeah, Richard, okay. Just. Richard, six months older than you. Yeah. And there were lots of sort of similarities, I think, between their dynamic and our dynamic, but also I felt that they were talking about things they probably don't always talk about in podcasts because they were with each other. Yeah. They were sort of being interviewed as a unit. I she was quite hard on him at times. No, I thought it was good. Yeah. Same as I am with you. You're always hard on me. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought that was really good. And I just really liked the dynamic of father and daughter. Yeah. I think father-daughter relationships are always going to be quite interesting, especially when the daughter is as fiery as Scarlett is. Yeah. I also think it, 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 was, it was, I wonder how much the fact, and it was he who raised the, the suicide of his sister, how heavily that must weigh on him when, he's, when Scarlett's not well. Yeah. It must be so hard. Definitely. And well, she think, seems in a really good place. Yeah, definitely. I mm-hmm. mean, she's, um, like, she's just an incredible, incredible person. She's so resilient and hardworking and just genuinely wants to help other people. I think yeah. that's something that their family yeah, all really but, have. But it's quite amazing, well, Grace, that you know, the, the, of, the, of the ten episodes so far, I think it's fair to say this is the first time you've actually brought an interviewee to the microphone. It's actually the first time that one of us has been picked um, on And the I was going to say, so the first person you picked, picked you. Mm-hmm. In the, first of all, she rigged the stakes because she chose six women. Which I love. I wish I did that. And, uh, and you were one of them. Yeah. I was actually moved by that. Oh, yeah, it was very was sweet. Nice. I love I her like, so much. Yeah, well, it was very good. And they're and, um, a great family. They are an extraordinary family. And, and, and also, I do think the, I think the comic relief thing is one of the phenomena of our time. And he's a, he's a very, 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 very impressive and clever chap. Thank you very, very much for listening. Please rate, review and subscribe to this podcast. This podcast is a Pink Protest production. And if you're wondering where the fantastic music comes from, it's by my favourite Scottish band, Skippinish. The wait is finally over and sport is back on Now TV. It's lights out and away we go! Where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports and BT Sport together and all without a contract. What a fantastic part. So whether there's a day, week or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Full terms apply. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.